Hello and welcome back to Cooking the Books with Jilly Spin, the podcast which takes us through four food moments from the books of our favourite food writers. It's about all of life through the prism of food. And this week I'm with the woman who cooked for Joe Biden, Justin Trudeau and the late Queen at the G7 conference in 2020. But Emily Scott didn't always feel quite such a superwoman. I remember the day I chose to stop eating and that was just an overwhelming sense of not being good enough and really frightened of failing. Failure was a huge issue for me. Like, I won't do it and then I won't fail, but if I do it, I might fail. And that was, that was not cool in my mind. Her restaurant, Emily Scott Food, perched on the beach at Newquay, was the reason we drove all the way from Brighton for our anniversary this year. But as it settles into the excellence of the Cornish food landscape, Emily finds that she can take more of a step back these days. Her second book, Time and Tide, takes her to a new happy place as an established writer and much, much more deeply into her own world. What I do is so, it's so personal. Every step, every every decision I make, whether it's in my restaurant or writing my books, is considered. But it's, it's, it's about how I think and feel. And that's what's important. And I think stepping forward, which I feel I've done more in this book, even though Sea and Shore was very personal and kind of the backstory of my journey in food through Cornwall, I think this book, it feels far more like I've I've stepped forward and said, yeah, this is this is me and this is what I do. So it is incredible. It's all interlinked. It, it definitely is. And I remember, you know, when we were talking about the G7 in, in the last episode about the last book, and you were talking about how small you were. And it was, it was like, and there's me meeting the Queen and Joe Biden and, and uh, you know, all these amazing people. And I'm so small. I mean, you do actually use those words in that episode. And this feels like you're really kind of much more confident and you're saying really I know who I am now does it feel like that it does although (laughs) it's quite interesting yesterday with the first kind of uh serial of recipes in OFM I, I I I had to have a chat with myself by the end of the day because I just went into this like imposter syndrome took over me and I was like what you know I do not deserve this I'm not good enough kind of scenario so I had a chat to myself and this morning I feel better about that but a hundred percent more confident with this and two years on which actually isn't a very long time a lot happens and you know I just feel very I'm always very humble and and not grateful in the sense of like um you know kind of oh you know thank you know I know I've worked hard for this I've worked incredibly hard but I definitely feel like I've stepped up stepped up and actually I have I'm very very much have a place in in this wonderful world of books it's you know it's it's incredible I mean I'm actually surprised myself that I've managed to do it and run a restaurant I mean it's interesting that you use that as, a, as an addendum you know and run a restaurant you know a book is a thing that launches you into your community it makes you feel heard and accepted in a way that possibly just being a restaurateur doesn't. What does that add to your world as a restaurateur to, to actually be a cookbook writer and, and, a, and a really well respected one at that? I've just I feel like I've done it the other way around, if that makes sense, because I've always wanted to write, but I didn't realise I could write. And so the restaurant has kind of been the platform that has over the years, and we're talking 20 odd years, I haven't done this very fast at all. This isn't, you know, I haven't been a one hit wonder. This is years of consistently 
just working and trying to figure out how how I was going to be able to do it because it's not an easy process anyone that says writing books is is easy or you know you know I mean yes maybe it does happen quickly for some people but in my experience this is a long time coming for me and I think I found my place writing books is absolutely where I want to be there's nothing more create creative beautiful I love the solitude of writing but then I love how collective and collaborative it becomes I love the fact that I write as I think I think there's a word my my editor told me there is a word for the way I write I literally write how I'm thinking on the pages so editing is quite interesting sometimes because you don't want it to be too kind of kind of floaty floaty but that's kind of how I write but um I've definitely done it the other way around and I I if I had to give up well it's quite hard but if I had to give up one thing I would definitely want to stay in the world of books yeah I mean it's interesting since we last spoke I've be, I've started doing cooking the books food writing retreats and you know that I've done creative writing retreats here forever and I I do this thing called dream writing it's a thing that you do um you you wouldn't call it dream writing because that's my term for it but it is writing the dream and it is going into a sort of a meditative state and I can completely understand what you mean by the editing because the point is that you don't edit dream mm. writing it is no. a stream of consciousness but you go into the zone and you really go into the zone and what you do is you take us into that zone with you and of course it's so beautiful so you're writing about color and season and you take us into your world tell us a little bit about how you create that space in your mind what I write on the pages in my book and and my first book is how I see my world through my eyes so you know, it's it's real. And I've always, what, what's been so wonderful about the kind of creating, I guess I've, I feel like I've created more space and especially writing about time, it's almost become more beautiful because I've allowed myself more time to do it, if that makes any sense at all. It's like the best therapy ever, this book, yeah. because writing about... Um, just what's around me and and writing about what I think and feel is really important. Will you talk about mindfulness? Yeah, I do, which is new to me. I don't really practice it, but having been on such a mission for so long and been in the thick of running restaurants and working incredibly long hours, just apron on, writing has given me, I guess, permission to kind of stop and especially with this book because I was writing early, very early in the morning a lot of the time because that's just when I like writing but um, the mindfulness of just stopping for that cup of tea and not trying to do anything else for 10 minutes I'm not talking about that long I mean we all live in a world where we're all kind of very very busy so um, this book has given me the sense of like rush really rush slowly there's n- there's no need to kind of who actually cares really what you're doing it's all about thinking about how you approach things yeah I mean you you say that you actually slow down to think about what you're just about to say you know t- t- in, in in real life to other people that kind of mindfulness just being really careful rather than sort of being cautious 
being caring about everything that you say, everything yeah. that you do, everything that you look at, everything being that you considered. describe. And, pres- and, yeah. and having tasted your food, I can see that that's how you cook as well. I mean, it's incredibly beautifully nuanced and delicate and pretty. It helped enormously that the, we had the most beautiful sunset while we were <laughs> eating your food. Yeah. This, yeah, it's considered and it's seasonal and it's about yeah. provenance and it's about simplicity um and what i what's lovely for me now you know my role has changed hugely in my restaurant it's it gone are the days where if i wasn't apron on it wouldn't it you know the door would shut i now have a team that really have got behind my business and my brand brand in the sense of just i'm quite specific about how i want things that's all and I've I've settled into that new role of just trusting other people and delegating. And again, all those things I kind of, I guess, write about in this book about time and just, I think we all need, you know, without getting too, too kind of um, heavy right now, you know, I think we've got to be kinder to ourselves and give ourselves more space and, and ask for help. And, you know, we don't need to be these super women anymore. Taking us into your home, that's your considered design. You know, you put things beautifully, those lovely French bags on your in the hallway. Um, you know, you have you clearly have a, that kind of eye, which I'm becoming less intimidated by as I understand that I do not have to be that person. It, but that's all real. If I open the door now, they are just they are just hanging hanging up. And I think yeah. and my home is very much where my heart is and Throughout it, there are cards my children have written over the years. There's photographs. It It is it's quite chaotic as well. I won't show you the pile of ironing behind me. <laughs> <laughs> you do obviously take us down to the coves and you talk about the beach days and the boat days and the sunset swims and it's all very Cornish. But you also take us to France Um through your memories and again you use this dream writing and it's not full sentences sometimes you you just write white peaches apricots and melon from the melon man who would arrive with great enthusiasm on the dusty road outside the villa with all the senses filled with beautiful fragrance from the mountainside lavender rosemary and pine words that conjure up the most amazing kind of childhood but there are obviously a a lot of recipes did you have to do a lot of recipe testing this book I actually had a wonderful girl that I actually met through Instagram that said I'm I'm looking for some extra work would I would love to test recipes if you need that so I went okay yes good idea and she was brilliant Annie because I was able to give her you know like chapter by chapter just say here's your 10 I'm doing this 10 and then anything that didn't quite work, I'd then send to her. And, and there was actually, just before it went, <laughs> the deadline went, I s- sent her a couple of recipes going, I just don't think these are going to work. I'm terrified these won't work. So we retested them. We were slightly, like, obsessive about it. Um, but it's just ma- it's just testing recipes and putting your own you into them. That's what's most important, isn't it? Because, you know, there's a tomato salad recipe in my book. You know, no one's reinventing the wheel on that. Recipes are recipes, but it's, it's what you 
do to them or how you how I feel about a tomato or how I think about salad leaves <laughs> like a, a green salad's in my book that's not rocket science is it it's interesting actually because Elizabeth Luard has been doing she's done two out of three of the food, food writing retreats with me and this t- last time last week she did um, a recipe testing session and got people to write a recipe in four different ways one straight ingredients until the fourth one which is a whole story about what the recipe is and that was just a fascinating uh, creative exercise you know how do you think your way into a recipe what does what does a recipe oh, wow. really say to anyone yeah, yeah. you know you for example you take us to your half french grandfather's ratatouille and you talk about shortbread you know each of those recipes takes us into a different aspect of your life and you can taste and you can smell it and you get all those memories along with each of those recipes but you do say and it's an interesting one you say you have a troubled relationship with food and have have had for a very long time and as a teenager you you suffer from anorexia when this episode goes out it will be the third in a row when I've talked to people about difficult relationships with food Riven de Bogle, Claire Finney and and then you each of you have chosen food as your life as your career how how does that work for people who perhaps whose daughters sons are going through that right now and might just take some heart from that so it was a long time ago like in my kind of teenage years so probably from the age of about 13 14 started having a, a you know I just remember I've actually written recently a piece on my Substack about from the beginning and I remember the day I chose to, to stop eating and that was just a sen- an overwhelming sense of not being good enough and really frightened of failing. Failure was a huge issue for me. Like, I won't do it and then I won't fail. But if I do it, I might fail. And that was, that was not cool in my mind. <sighs> but food's always been there. I mean, reading my book, talking about France, my mother's cooking, you know, growing up, I had a very nice happy childhood with lovely food memories but at the time food was the only thing I could control so actually food is not really about weight or food really it's just about a sense of being in control for me at that point Uh, because I've always loved food but it was the one thing I could control and then I was good at it which sounds really crazy but anorexia, any eating disorder, it does think you can't live without it. It's that strong. Yeah. Um, and it was cooking in your cousin's kitchen in Burgundy yeah. that... I found my place. Extraordinary. Do you remember the, the, the kind of the process with which you were able to let it go? I know. I think it took a long time to let it go. But I think what I've held on to is always having a choice. I even have a choice today. If I, I could stop eating today, because I know that's something I could do, which again, sounds, um, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's a really difficult thing to overcome, because you have to eat to live, you can't avoid food. So, you know, but I know I have a choice and that's, that's the kind of, if I was trying to inspire anyone going through an eating disorder, you have a choice. You do have a choice. And, you know, I was in and out of hospitals being refed, came out, lost the weight, bouncing back in and out. Um, And I think it took someone that I was in treatment with dying, actually, for me to think, actually, I don't want to die. This is serious. Um, And it's not about weight, you know, six stone I thought I was overweight it's all it's but it's there are so many issues involved in it 
but ultimately it's about self-worth it's about kind of you know just feeling good about yourself and I found that and and a lot of people with eating disorders do end up working with food but sometimes working with the drug of your choice so to speak is a good thing that's the thing isn't Um, it yeah, but I, I turned it round, and and I found I, you know, it's not about feeding people because I enjoy eating as much as I enjoy cooking for people. But it's about finding your, your place. And I, I've said it before, but cooking for people, ones you love, or strangers, baking a cake for someone just just because, is one of the most loving of all human skills. Absolutely. And I think that's that's just the place I I really enjoy that. I get excited about having people for dinner or for lunch or baking a cake and having a friend round you know that's genuinely brings me happiness you're a feeder you you can tell you're a, <laughs> you're, a, you're a feeder I mean obviously you're a feeder as a restaurateur but actually with your first food moment Evie's macaroni cheese this yeah. is your daughter um her food moment uh, tell us about why you chose this one as your first so my children have always been a huge part obviously of my life but you know, just we, we're quite a close knit team, and um, we've always I've always loved cooking with them for them. But Evie, growing up, would always whatever the season, she'd I'd you know ask her what would you like for lunch, what would you like for supper, what you know as kids you remember kind of having those chats like what are we going to have for tea, and it would always be macaroni cheese. So over the years, we've just done this together and she's very good at an old bechamel and uh, it's just developed and she's off to uni in September. So my last, my my baby, so to speak, is leaving the nest, which is going to be interesting, but she can definitely make a macaroni cheese. But uh, these days with uh, Tabasco, perhaps replaces ketchup. And you say, you know, different kinds of cheeses as well, just ch- yeah. swapping things out and changing up the flavours. Your your second food moment is, again, staying with the family. Mark, your biggest supporter, your second husband, yeah. you know, life has totally turned around for you, hasn't it? Um, through that choice that you've made with him. And this is a lovely moment about how you spend time together making marmalade. How lovely. Yeah, we Tell do. me about that. It's, it's very competitive. Uh, our relationship is based on a lot of teasing and a lot of, uh, yes, healthy competition, I'd say. Um, so I will give him credit for this. Um, but we have a lovely time. I just think cooking, cooking, whether it's making marmalade or do, baking a cake or making supper together is a lovely thing to do. And I think, you know, if you if you can do that with the person that you love, even better. So we have fun, you know, chopping, peeling zesting all those lovely processes that just are so simple but actually are very therapeutic and you can chat and talk and then we end up with jars of sunshine throughout the year maybe too many we give quite a lot away (laughs) (laughs) yeah they make great presents don't they yeah you're you talk a lot about your family family is very important to you um and your third food moment is granny jean um you also talk about your french grandparents and 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 your half french grandfather and the time that you spent in in france but granny jean sounds a bit like you super (laughs) oh my god she is isn't she she's you it's hilarious i said i'd never turn into her but i think i have basically (laughs) tell us about her she's super she's super capable but I never got on with her growing up because she was always that person that you were always like oh, I'm going to disappoint her I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm I haven't done this I haven't done that 
Um, and she would have loved this. She would have loved my books. And the, I, I bonded with her when I had children, actually, because she was a paediatrician in her time. So she loved the development of babies and was very, very proud. Um, and, I, and sadly, she died when Evie was three months old. So she hasn't seen my career at all, really. Um, but she would have loved all this. She would have loved it. But um, her, we, we used to go to these... I mean, I'm sorry, these these quite awkward family barbecues on a Sunday. And I hope I think, hope I'm a bit more relaxed than Granny Jean. I think in that time, everything, you know, was all quite tense. But how extraordinary to have someone like that in your life as you were growing up, who was a paediatrician in the 1940s. Yeah, You know, women didn't really have those kind of jobs then. She must have been one in, I mean, she must have been the only woman you knew who had that kind yeah. of presence in the world. Yeah, she was she was amazing, and she was interested in everything. She was she loved going to the theatre. She loved gardening. I mean, she she did everything. She did it well, even if she didn't really know how to do it. She she had a go. Um, but she was definitely a feeder. But the family barbecues, the highlight of them was the chocolate sauce because you knew that whatever happened, how if you had to sit next to kind of a long lost cousin or uncle and have that awful, awkward kind of, you know, I was awkward generally. <laughs> I knew we'd get chocolate sauce at the end of it, so it would be fine. <laughs> On her hot plate, you know, it would come out and sit there for ages, but it it was very good. And this is such a nice recipe. <laughs> Your final food moment takes us right back into your world, into Cornwall, but always yeah. uh, has that element of France. It's it, it creeps into absolutely everything you do. It's the Cornish bouillabaisse. Um, it's fish from Cornwall with a Marseille uh, twist. Yeah, definitely. Go on, tell me about this one. Definitely. Well, the, the, I, I, there's a fish stew in Sea and Shore and I, I just thought, oh no, I want to put this one in as well because it does have m- much more of a kind of, yeah, Marseille or Provencal type feel to it with the orange zest and the anchovy and, and, and again, it's, it's not necessarily about... Follow, it's, it's not necessarily about following... I want you to follow the recipe, but it's about kind of slightly doing what you you want to do as well if you want to put anchovies in that's great if you don't that's fine kind of thing but this this one just oh it just is such comfort food for me and I think inspiring people to cook with fish is a good thing and this is such an easy way to do it and also if if you didn't want to the just this you know tomato base is delicious for for anything else really but uh, just you can use whatever fish. And like I've said before, if you're not sure, talk to your fishmonger. Um, but have a go because it really is wonderful. And of course, the aioli makes it like any sort of mayonnaise makes most things absolutely delicious. But it's a lovely one for sharing. And um, it's quite rustic. But um, it's just, it just brings people together, I think. It feels like you're kind of writing yourself real. You know, with the first book, it was beautiful, very stylish, very good looking. Your writing feels more you this time. It feels like you've got more to say. You throw in little bits that we can pick up and go, oh, gosh, there's a big story there, like the anorexia, for example. You're tempting us into your world a little bit more. I wonder what the next book could give us more of. What do you think it might be? I'm not I'm not sure where I'll be going I have I've kind of hinted that I may may, I'd love to go back to France and I'd love to go back to that village in near Macon where I was so unwell 
but I found my place um, because there are some wonderful recipes and stories from there. Like Baby Rose the Butcher would turn up in his van outside and it was all very kind of raucous and joyful communal type eating and the goat's cheese would be brought over from the farm. You know, you could almost, you know, just literally stones throw away um, and then go to back. I'd love to go back to Bagnol and... Well, I I know that we're in touch with the people that bought the villa off my grandparents, so it would be wonderful to kind of literally go back there and to Bordeaux, where Mark and I have spent a lot of time. If not, I may stay in Cornwall. I'm not sure. I have started writing the third one, actually, but I'm I'm very much in France, so I'm not sure where they'll want me to go. But um, just to even be thinking about a third book, I mean, you you know that is that's never in the bag until you know you kind of hope and then I think I'll just write it for myself if if I don't do this again but just to have a second book a physical copy of a second book is incredible I'm very you know that it's you know as I say take everything else away and but there's something incredible about being a published author it's about finding your voice stepping forward showing people who you are or just saying to yourself this is me and validating yourself (laughs) thanks for listening do pop over to my substack for extra bites of emily and her cornwall just search for jilly smith on substack and i'll see you next week